You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week, a horrifying clash of heads at the Emirates sports the concussion debate right back into focus. Bruges shot themselves in the foot while dropping a player who had stormed off the team bus after a teammate stolen his seat. And Diego Maradona popped upstairs to give God his hand back. But down at the Amex, Jürgen was shouting his mouth off on a post-match argument with BT's Des Kelly. So just another quiet day on Planet Football then. Um, this week, we have... Two Andys, not just one, but two. We've got Andy K back with us. Hello, Andy. Hello. We have Peter Marsh as usual. Hello, Peter. Hello, Russ. And the other Andy in question, resplendent with his usual wallpaper, um, Premier League standard uh, background, is Andy Bravery. Hello, Andy. Evening, Russ. Hope you're all well. And we're all celebrating a decent result, really, aren't we? A one-all draw with Liverpool. I think, by and large, balance of play, I think we deserve something. And either way around, we're delighted to get our first point against Liverpool at home in the top flight. So, not bad going. Um, overall, we'll, we'll come to that in more detail in the second half. But this is a very quick overview. Pleased with the game at the weekend? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. yeah, it's the first, first point we've got off Liverpool in, what is it, um, seven games? That was yeah. the seventh game, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. First half, first half, we really, we really outplayed them. Really, on chances, I thought we deserved to win. So I was really pleased. Yeah. We're going to get into that in more detail in part two. But first, in part one here, we're going to go through some of the football news. There's been quite a bit going on. It's been a bit of a bumper week. First of all, um, it's happened since our last podcast. Sorry, before our last podcast, but um, we didn't have time to mention it when we were chatting to Neil Atkinson on our Liverpool preview, because he loves to talk to me. Oh, he's a great guy, but there was no room to fit it all in. Um, it was the rather sad, perhaps not completely unexpected news, that one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of all footballers, Diego Maradona, passed away. He managed to make it to his 60th birthday, which was quite an achievement given his lifestyle. But uh, he passed away of a heart attack um, a few days ago now. Um an absolute legend of the game, I don't think is in dispute. But guys, I mean, firstly, Andy Kay, 
What's your, what's your views on Diego? Well, um, Maradona's probably the, the greatest player in my lifetime. Uh, I can't think of anyone that comes near him. Uh, Zidane is probably the closest, but I don't, I don't think he comes anywhere near him, to be honest. I, I was just a little bit after um, Cruyff and Best, really. Um, I may well have caught the tail end of their careers. I don't really remember them, but uh, Mar- Maradona was far and away the, the best player I've seen. Um, extraordinary. Yeah. He was um, some great tributes, actually, this week. Uh, Five Live had a couple of um, episodes which are available as podcasts where they had a dedicated podcast. Really good, eloquent speakers, some really good anecdotes. I think it got the measure of the man. You know, the light and shade that was that man. He was a genius. He was a brilliant player, a delight to watch. But he had his edge as well. He was one of the so-called Pibe players of South America that had that, um, I think it's described as sort of the streetwise, dirty-faced um, kind of people who can be brilliant players. They know what to do, how to play the game, literally, and um, on the edges. Um, there was also, of course, the dark side of what he was doing off the pitch itself. Lots of problems with uh, demons from way back when, in his early days, I think. And in the time from Italy onwards, um, I think things went really off the rails, off the pitch. Um, but some really good tributes and some really good stuff from Gary Lineker before one of the games on BT Sport. Um, yeah, that, that was an amazing um, uh, memory. Um, yeah. Well, tell, tell us about that, Andy, if you remember what, he, what Lineker said about well, that. I, I, I do, because um, one, one of the things that I wanted to raise was that he was mentioning this um, term that, um, Maradona used to describe himself, which is Cabecita Negra. Uh, it was a term that was associated with Eva Peron, who's um, one of my great political heroes. Um, and the Cabecita ne- Negras uh, tra- translates lo- loosely as li- little blackheads. Um, but the Peron government was all about bringing um, democracy to the people, giving um, votes to women, and also including those that had been excluded from politics and economics and society. Um, it, it was it was a really, really radical government, um, a little bit like, um, well, not quite the same, but a, a little bit like Britain had at the same time in the 1945. Um, and... Yeah, he came from the street. That, I mean, that's that's what that term uh, um, captures. Um, Argentina is quite a, a strange place. I, I went there a couple of years ago, um, and it's 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 very European, effectively. Um, um, but the Cabecita Negras are, are those that uh, are of more indigenous extract and, and, and so forth. So, um, and Maradona, of course, is half. I think it's, I don't know if it's half and half, but he, he has a native American blood, doesn't he? And Italian blood. Yeah. A, yeah. But um, um, yeah, but the um, the anecdote. I mean, Lineker had met um, Maradona, and he was talking about a pre-match rota- um, routine that he had. Um, and I think Lineker was kind of pointing to the fact that he didn't really enjoy pre-match warm-ups and, and so forth. And what Maradona did was he went into the centre circle and just kicked the ball right up, really, really high in the air, 
put his fists on his chest, kind of um, tum-ti-tum-ti-tum type thing, and the ball just comes straight down onto his foot, and he just carries on doing that for, what was it, 13 times or something like that? Yeah. And um, uh, sometimes he had to move just a few paces, um, and ev- every other player tried it, um, and they could only do three before they actually had to leave the centre circle. So um, that and this is after he juggled the ball the whole way along the pitch to the centre circle in the first place in normal yeah. circum well <laughs> normal circumstances for him. Amazing stuff, and um, yeah, I mean it's it's just incredible talent. Uh, Michel Platini, um, famously in the past. Um, said that what Zidane can do with a football, Maradona can do with an orange. And yeah, to say that in relation to one of his own countrymen off a genius level of football, to to kind of to to put him down a few pegs from where he sees saw Maradona, it's, uh, that speaks volumes in itself, doesn't it? Um, and Zidane was an incredible player himself. Um, guys, uh, Peter, I mean, did you really get a chance to get the measure of the man from games you'd seen? Yeah, he was. It was obviously a bit after my time. Obviously, around the 86 World Cup and that sort of time, I wasn't really watching football. So I was only four, so it's kind of like didn't really kind of see him at his absolute peak. He was still around, yeah, obviously around for the 1990 and 94 World Cups. So, obviously, 94 was when he was sent home, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. Um, I think the thing I was going to say was, I find, I find it, I think it's a tribute to him in a way that everyone was having a minute silence over here, where considering that he's actually most known for cheating the English national team, basically, out of a out of something and yet still every single team over here had a minute silence for him which tells yeah. you about what a brilliant player he was I mean the fact that he is almost most famous for that and the other thing I was going to say was it's easy to forget what an amazing other goal he scored that day I mean England's defence was pretty terrible with it but that that second goal he scored when and it often gets overshadowed by the hand of God was just ridiculous I mean it was not, not by me I mean that that goal was one of the best goals ever ever, ever scored yeah. Um, wasn't it voted best goal? He beat about five players or something. Didn't need to score. It was yeah. yeah. I think no one should have done a professional foul and taken him out, really. But I don't think they could get close enough, though, could they? Yeah. I, mean, you watch, I was sort of described it the other day when they watched it, and the England the England defenders and the midfielders they look a lot more like actors trying to play football. I mean, one of my mates has always talked about the fact that Terry Butcher was the only one who actually made two tackles. I've had to like send a message to him in Australia and said, tell him that um, having reviewed it again, that first one is nowhere near a tackle. Nowhere near him. And then I think he is the one who tries to take him out in the box. He can't mm. get near him then. I think the other thing for me that that it showed was, A, was how amazing it was that he did what he did on the kind of football pitches that we played back in those days. You know, yeah. even the top pitches were like ploughed fields. And just his balance. I've watched it a bit more and you know, the, the way he kept his balance to be able to, like, get a shot off at times was just amazing. Yeah. I think maybe that, maybe for all of us, you, there's a player that, that you grow up with that, that, that is, like, the best. So maybe everyone thinks that about their player, whether it be Pele or Maradona. But for me, Maradona was my football genius. And like cool. you say, he cheated us. He pretty much cheated us out of a chance to get to a World Cup semi-final. And yet, you still can't actually find a reason to say anything other than fantastic things about his ability. He was amazing. Yeah, I mean, all the, all the time I've, I've watched him play, you could see, the, you could appreciate the talent right from the off. But I did find it hard for many years to to really enjoy watching him play because of the villainy that he made for himself. Um, it was the hand of a rascal, as uh, Bobby Robson 
described it in repost to the hand of God comment from Maradona. And it, um, that's the way I felt about it. I was fuming about it for years, uh, which is exactly the effect I'm sure he wanted to, to go for. Like on a similar level, a lot of people, I think, prefer Messi these days because of Ronaldo. He doesn't, not in the same way, cheat in the same way, but his arrogance, his way of behaving. And you almost want a legend to be like Pelé in the sense that he always just seems like a really decent bloke as well and that sort of thing. But actually, a lot of them are you know, just ordinary people who are in some ways flawed as well. And it kind of goes together. You kind of, a lot of sporting geniuses are also maybe not got like Gaza. I mean, the classic example, maybe not the ideal personality. Um, yeah. You don't often don't go together. Yeah. I, I, I love them because of the passion. And uh, there is that brilliant documentary on, on, on him. And, you know, um, the passion that he generated amongst the Napoli fans, such that they were supporting Argentina in Italy, um, you know, it's just it's just just extraordinary. And you know, to to me, characters like that kind of help make football. Um, football's uh, there's a lot of nonsense spoken about meritocracy. Football is meritocracy in action, and he he was the greatest that I've seen. Yeah, I think, you I think that. the other thing, I mean, I do think the other thing, though, that oh, part of the hand of God and all of that is it's hard to forget if you weren't around at the time was it was only four years after the Falklands War, you know, and I think from an Argentinian point of view, that was probably very much at the forefront of their mind that they lost that war, you know, badly. And then, you know, four years later, they're knocking us at the World Cup. So I think there's an element of that in there somewhere about the hand of God comment. Yeah, um, you mentioned the documentary, Asif Kapadia's documentary of last year called Diego Maradona, uh, is one you're talking about, isn't it, Andy Kay? Yeah. Um, I mean, that is brilliant, and he does like uh, making stories about edgy characters. Amy, of course, about Amy Winehouse. Senna was uh, kind of had it since. Oh, he did that as well, yeah. didn't he? Uh, he's always very good. Yeah, he's a, he is he's similarly good. talented as well. Yeah, yeah he's a good, good filmmaker. Arsenal fan, as I understand it. But anyway, he's, um, you know, they are very good. I thoroughly recommend watching the film. I think the thing is, if you made a film about today's greatest player, which is, well, for me, is undoubtedly Neil Messi, um, it would probably be comparatively very boring <laughs> because he hasn't really done anything off the field. Or well, he's done some controversial things. We won't go into what, you know, being accused of one thing or another, to do taxes and this, that and the other. But there's there's not really anything as edgy as what happened. As, Maradona's uh, background and that's what makes it interesting the light and shade that's been referenced by others um, but yeah well, either way around you know we look back on him and I think the tributes have been apt I think they've been appropriate I think you'd go a long way to describe anyone being a better footballer in the history of the game mm. um, quite quite coincidence that he dies on the same day of the month that uh, George Best died as well oh really hmm, yes yeah. same yeah. day yeah 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 um, so you know, rest in peace to him. Um, yeah. Sure, will the legacy will go on. Um, the passion and the outpouring of grief from uh, from those in Napoli and in Argentina, um, in particular, very telling. Um, but you know, we 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 see who who's the next one to make history on that sort of level. Maybe it'll be someone at the Albion. I don't know about that. But uh, keeping on a Uruguayan, oh sorry, on a South American theme, Uruguay has popped up again. Of course, Luis Suarez got into trouble a few years ago for saying an N-word, but not the N-word, um, in relation to um, Patrice Evra in a football match and got a ban for it. Well, in a more, should we say, lighter context, um, Cavani 
post-match after Man United beat Southampton, uh, used the same word to say thank you to a fan who was applauding him for a good game. Um, he's got himself into trouble as well now. Uh, I mean, the word in question is Negrito, which means little Negro, basically, uh, to put it in the original context. Apparently, it's not supposed to be an offensive term, but, you know, crossing borders when you're playing in a different country, social media in general is a global thing. It's got global outreach. You can't be doing that, can you? And he's got into trouble for it. He's apologised straight away. The club have said something similar to kind of downplay it. And I don't think there was anything malicious meant by it. But, you know, it's another unfortunate moment. If, unless anyone's got anything particular to say on that one, we'll, we'll move on to the next well, subject. All I was going to say was I was surprised that um, I was surprised that um, Gus Boyer didn't pile in just to try and, you know, <laughs> out by defending him like he did with Suarez. And then I saw Gus... Today was um, trending on Twitter. I thought, oh, my word, he has opened his mouth. But apparently it's more <laughs> to do with what's going on at Sunderland, I hear. Yeah, Phil Parkinson was sacked as Sunderland manager. He was put in as favourite. Apparently the odds massively shortened sometime during today. So there must have been a rumour going to fact, or people thought so. But apparently he's ruled out um, the job on the basis that he doesn't want to go back to League One. Um, well, who would? I mean, you can't do better than he did last time at Brighton. Ironically, he wanted Sunderland in the first place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, so he's, he's been in the news. Um, another unsavoury one was Celtic fans socially undistancing themselves um, in fury at Neil Lennon and the apparent capitulation that's going on up there. They had it dominant for years, didn't they? As soon as Rangers are giving them a challenge, they seem to have them um, completely capitulated. Duffy seems to be. Um, um, enemy number one amongst a lot of Celtic fans. Um, a friend of mine who's a Celtic fan has said, can you take him back, please? So it doesn't seem to be going too well for... Yeah, I really is. A lot of our fans would still have him back over Webster. And I'm like, if he's struggling in that league, then really he wouldn't be doing very well in the Premier League at the moment. I, th- yeah. I think it's, it does show the stupidity of people that you go and like a protest at a ground in a situation we're currently in because you're second in the league and you've been knocked out of a cup. I mean, seriously, yeah. I know they're doing terribly in Europe and all that, but seriously... I know they want to get the 10 in a row and that sort of thing, but surely at the moment you protest on social media or whatever, or whatever you don't bother doing it now, like yeah. in person at the ground. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's, it, it's not great for the, for the COVID situation. Policemen were injured. Um, it was pretty aggressive, the protest, kicking down fences, trying to get at, seemingly get at the players and the coaching staff, crazy stuff. Um, there's also cars, that one, yeah, trying to smash the cars up. I do think yeah. it's um it's ironic that we've got three we've got three former centre halves playing in Scotland, and out of the three, he's he's the one at the moment who's um showing the least form, from what I can tell. The Balogun yeah. and um Goldson virtually considered the goal. Vardy considered the goal all season so far. Yeah, whereas yeah. Duffy's been dropped. Yeah, 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 yeah madness. Um. One of the bit of news, rather sad news, a bit of a surprise, and I haven't been able to decipher why he died, but Papa Bupa Diop, a.k.a. The Wardrobe, um, he played for a number of clubs in England, I think Fulham, Portsmouth, West Ham and Birmingham, was it? I think the clubs here. Um, scored a cracking goal, I think one of the goals of the season, one year. Um, he's died at the age of 42. Um, sad news, Senegal International. He's the guy, of course, who scored the goal in the opening match of the World Cup. And yeah, then... I saw the clip the other day on the BBC. I remember yeah. that game, though, Senegal, because France were world champions, weren't they? And Senegal right. were the first time at the World Cup or something like that. They'd never played before. Yeah. 
and they were were they host that year France as well? I think they were, weren't they? No, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But you know, El hey, Hajj you onto the international scene. Yeah, I mean, he, he scored two other goals in that tournament as well. Um, <laughs> smiling about El Hajj it always brings a smile to one's um, eyes, doesn't it? Um, anyway. <laughs> um, and I think uh, Sadio Mane wasn't it gave a tribute I think as well yeah I don't, I don't know what happened to him but um, obviously that's no age at all so tragic news there yeah. um, so quite a bit of other stuff going on obviously I, I mentioned in the intro the nasty clash of heads in the that was of course the Arsenal Wolves game um, Wolves eventually running out 2-1 winners in all the goals in the first half same as the head clash or very eventful first half there um, it was 0-0 when the incident occurred I think that Halfway through the first half, Raúl Jiménez and David Luiz. Um, I mean, first of all, it's a fractured skull. Um, it's not not great. I'm not sure what the overall outcome is in terms of the connotations for his career, because this can be career threatening. We see Ryan Mason four years ago suffered that fate. Um, he's now a, a coach with Spurs, I think. But he, you know, his playing career came to an end very early. Raúl Jiménez is a cracking player, a really good player at a good club with a good reputation. Um, not that it matters what level you're at, it's a tragedy anyway. Um, if he's not able to continue, he's certainly going to be out for a while either way around. Um, pretty nasty incident, wasn't it, guys? Well, the, the sound was just horrendous. It really was. Um, and he's he's been one of the best setting forwards in the Premier League over the last two or three seasons. I think he's, he's an absolutely wonderful player. Yeah. Um, uh, and all you know I, I think you're right in what you're saying um i don't know quite so much about the precedence of um fractured skulls but um doesn't 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 look good does it mm-hmm. and um we just wish him all the best of course yeah. um one concerning element that came out of that was um david louise who was the other player involved he, they, they'd gone at a ferocious pace uh, towards the ball i mean he, he Drew Blood, he was down for a fair while himself, I think, as I understand it. I didn't see it live, so I'm not sure exactly how long he was down, but obviously he's going to be uh, feeling the effects. Um, he went through the doctor's concussion checking protocol and was deemed okay to carry on. Um, and he did do so with blood still coming from a wound in his bandaged head. Um, I've got there, a big I mean, there, there, there should be an independent um, doctor checking yeah. that. I mean, I, I, I can remember um, Murray uh, at Newcastle. Um, that, that was the game that we won 1-0, I think, wasn't it? Um, yeah. yeah um, and he, he went straight off in that game. I mean, he was he was knocked out, wasn't he? Um, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I completely agree with Alan Shearer on Match of the Day. I, um, this, this is actually, for me, a farce. I think if you've got a player who's got any suspicion at all of being concussed, they can't play on. They shouldn't play on, even if they, you think they're okay. So, so many times you see these checks have occurred, and then five minutes after they've come back out, they've had to come back off anyway, which means they clearly weren't well enough to carry on. Concussion, if you have got it, you're supposed to rest for at least eight days, isn't it? I think, yeah. um, according to the current rules. Was that what they brought in after? Was it Hugo Lloris carried on after getting concussion? Yeah. And that's, that's why they brought it in. You know, even more so with a goalkeeper, where you, where, I mean, it's pretty bad for a centre half, but for a goalkeeper, it'll be even worse. Yeah, uh, and that's like, what I played it in and changed the rules, didn't they? After that, yeah, if you've had a really big impact, um, apparently there's there's a thing about the, the whole ricochet effect and how you you need your body needs time to absorb what's happened and to 
reset itself into the right shape, the sort of the soft tissue in the brain or something like that. Um, so if you're playing on when you've still still trying to recover from the impacts of the initial blow in a game where you are quite likely to get into another clash of heads or to head the ball hard or to hit the post when you're defending, you might hit, yeah, there's all sorts of ways you could have another heading impact. It really is ridiculous that anybody should be put under any risk whatsoever, as far as I'm concerned. I always cringe when I see players, you know, we mentioned Terry Butcher earlier, of course he famously played on with a big head wound once as well, and he was seen as a hero. But I mean, you don't want to have heroes if they're fallen heroes, should we say. These guys, health and safety is of the paramount importance. Headway, the Brain Association, Brain Injury Association, have expressed concerns on a number of occasions about this. There was a big fuss made after Ryan Mason um, when that occurred. Some people I spoke to today said, oh, well, you know, I have to look at it now after what happened yesterday uh, over the weekend. Um, but, you know, well, they, they said they were going to and they did do after Ryan Mason. And we're still, you know, we're still here four years later talking about the same thing. In other sports, it's not an issue. It's been sorted. There's protocols in place and have been for quite some time already. Why are we now in a position where we're still talking about this as an issue so many years later? Um, I'm not confident anything's going to be done. IFAB and others have said they're going to get together, they're going to talk and carry on reviewing it. It needs to stop now. There's games being played as we speak. Why doesn't it solve everything? In rugby, they have concussion subs. Which does yeah. mean you've got some char- a chance. You're not rushing to sort someone else or whatever or to, to look at them. Yeah. You've got a chance to actually see if they're able to come back on again. And if they're not, make the right decision. Whereas in football, if you're, especially if, like, you're, if it is one person rather than... Obviously, in this situation, there was plenty of time to treat Louise while Jimenez was down. But if it's one person who's been like knocked, you know, knocked or, knocked or hit or whatever and they're not sure... They're obviously being off the pitch, and they're down to ten men at one point. So it's either a rush to get them back on or not. So I, I, I can, I wouldn't. It wouldn't answer everything, but a concussion sub would, I would say, help the situation. It would, you know, ease the pressure on, them and then you've got time to see what whether they are truly concussed yeah. or knocked out. Or I'd love to know. I'd love to know the um, the the kind of conversations that go on between the medics and the managers when it's when it's happening, and whether they really do leave it just to the medics and their decision or whether they start to influence it and how much they allow the player to intervene. Because I think the natural instinct normally is to want to carry on playing, but it's not the right decision. It should be taken away from you, really. I think yeah. that football has got um, has been in denial about, about head injuries and just things like heading for quite a while, because I think it's worried maybe that it's going to take out heading from the game. But I think it's, you know, if I mean, even now in youth football, you're not allowed to coach heading until they're over 12 years old. If it happens in a game, fair enough. And it does happen sometimes, although I always cringe when it does. But um, I think there's going to be a, a lot more movement towards, you know, how we, you know, how are we going to try and, and we're certainly concussion, how we're going to deal with that. I think also, you know, how we're going to coach it. And, but I mean, I, I don't know if you can ever really take heading out of the game. I mean, if you're going to take heading out of the game because of, head injuries and um and 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 also um um you know what the, the stuff going on at the moment about dementia then the court knows where that leaves boxing because boxing would be like written off completely exactly but i certainly think that i think the sub thing would definitely take a bit of the pressure out of out of the situation and give you a bit of time to consider it yeah i mean my understanding is that um they're introducing this i don't know when or if or when that's happening but again talking about things now there's games tonight there's games tomorrow there's games at the weekend and they're talking about months ahead, planning something. 
why can't we just introduce this rule now? And if, if FIFA or anyone else is saying, oh, we've got to go through this process, screw them. We'll get the bloody system in place now. Because it's literally the no-brainer. I don't understand. Yeah. Why would what, anyone uh, possibly disagree with it? What, oh. is it? what possible reason is... I suppose people would say people could take advantage of it or whatever, like the guy in rugby with the blood substitution they've had before. But, yeah. I mean, that's not a reason to potentially risk people's lives. No. I mean, it's but, going to be very rare, isn't it? Because you, you know, you're going to see a clash of heads. It's going to have to be a bad decision. I mean, I, I think in five years' time, when there's even more research around concussion than that, we'll be looking back and just thinking that it was absolutely madness that we didn't have subs and we didn't have strict protocols. Exactly. And that yeah. actually it's a call that the medics make and not yeah. the managers and not the players. Just to clarify on the, on the sub rule, the, the proposal they had was that if, if you make a substitution, the other team would also be allowed to have a substitution. So it's not as if there's any advantage gained in terms of an extra pair of fresher legs happening. The one I was thinking of with rugby was that, that you were allowed to make 10-minute substitution. So it's more that you can take someone off for 10 minutes and then come back on again. Oh, yeah, which would also so, be... So if you find they're OK after 10 minutes, then I think the 10 is about a 10-minute limit. And if you find they're OK after 10 minutes, they can come back on. And if not, they're, they, the, hmm. the, sub, the sub becomes a permanent one. Yeah, it does seem football in general is so slow in changing, isn't it? I mean, we looked at goal line technology. And when the incident occurred in the England-Germany game, which apparently led to Sepp Blatter putting forward the notion for getting that sorted... We were talking about it for years before that incident occurred, that, um, that, that there's no reason why not having that in at the top level. And things seem to take so long to change, don't they? Yeah, I mean, that and goes things... back even to the 66 World Cup, doesn't it? I mean, they didn't have the technology then, but surely any incidents like that should have, the minute they had it, they should have been doing that or people should have been looking into it. Yeah, there was a, an FA Cup semi-final, I think it was, Chesterfield, a, a playing, a mm. playing underdogs in a match where they would have been yeah Middlesbrough and they would have been in the final for the first well would still have been only time ever in their history for a small club proportionally yeah to be, to be deprived by something like that anyway Sean Dyche, whose header it was was it Sean Dyche or someone like that who was at Chesterfield then wasn't it Kevin Davis wasn't he playing for Chesterfield then might have been anyway anyway um we move on one thing for the Arsenal Wolves game um as well at the weekend Apparently, there was an incident where Holding got um, penalised for foul on Triore. And um, apparently, picked up on Mike was, was him complaining. So, you've got to be joking. He's built like a, a brick shit um, house. Like that. Yeah. Is, that, is that right? <laughs> Which is quite amusing. I got caught on Mike, I think. Um, he's probably got a bit of a point, hasn't he, really? And um, I can't remember if we said this on or off air, but uh, Andy, you were saying that um, apparently he greases his arms up, so he's harder to grip as well. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, and why he wears those sh- shockingly short sleeves as well. Mm. well yeah. I heard actually that Jack Grealish greases his boots up so that he can't stand up for more than two minutes. Um, he, he, got really accused, well. he, he accused got accused of um, diving, of course, by the um, by the West Ham coaching staff that led to a fracas on the touchline at the weekend. Oh, I can't believe he's been accused of that. The poor fellow. Well, there's a brilliant gif of him just. Having a delayed reaction of <laughs> acrobatics. Um, check it out. I can. You can only conclude, can't you? Though that basically he's doing that, and the manager's told him to do it. Yeah, because you know the manager could say, "Look, you know, let's stop it," but I don't think he does because he wants all the advantages he can get. I yeah, mean, that was just that one West Ham was ridiculous. Yeah, well, I'd be calling him a cheat if I basically was on the field with him. Mm. I'd be shining in his face. 
Yeah. Diving around like that, it's ridiculous. There's a reason people keep calling him a diver and a cheat. It doesn't keep happening by chance. You know, um, for them to get pressures about it, especially John Terry, who himself has not um, exactly covered himself in glory in a number of ways through the years. And he's yeah, John Terry of all of them would have probably been going through to Greenish with a tackle and calling him a cheat, actually. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> most, um, quite, you know, quiet and... Uh, you know, kind of like and cleanish, clean defender. He kind of he was happy to put in a few tackles in himself. Yeah, well, sticking with the Premier League thing, one of the games that to mention, well, a couple of games actually. Um, I was absolutely gutted for Paris losing at home to one of the most unremarkable teams in Premier League history, Newcastle, by two goals to nil. They even let the forty million pounds, three goals in forty-seven games, first goal in seventeen games, Joel Linton score against them. How tragic is that? I mean, it really is. Having, having I mean, played both of them, I'm surprised he didn't got out of their own half based on the games against us. <laughs> yeah, of course. Mind well, you, I... it was up against Ben Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I went into my, uh, my local butchers in Addiscombe um, on Saturday, the, uh, the, the guy who owns it, Fig, he ran straight into the freezer a la um, Boris Johnson. He said, I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. And off he went. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it was... I, it was bizarre because they they'd looked appalling, and then they they get that great result against Leeds, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe he's going to try some of his attacking players, and then since then they've been dreadful again. But, but that's that's Leeds joining us down the bottom. That's Leeds for you. They they'll they'll either um, beat a top club or they'll get battered by um, a bottom club. Yeah, the stats <laughs> I liked about Leeds at the weekend, after which is still the case after Everton, is they've either conceded four or zero in away games this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. they, they certainly weren't happy with a young Norbury and Thornton Heath natives not happy neither with Man United players who rumours had it were going to surround the referee demanding a penalty be awarded against them when they realised that Ward Prowse was being given a free kick just outside the area in the game at weekend, which is better than a penalty for Southampton isn't it I think the yeah, world's we've better. got them next <laughs> yeah great and we're not good at giving away free kicks at all are we no 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 in fact, we're absolutely excellent at it. Um, but no, he is, I think Robin posted the notion that he's the best free kick taker in the world at the moment. I am not going to argue with him. I think he's absolutely sublime and has been quite some time, in fact. Well, no. I, I think he's, he's got three goals out of six free kicks this season. Which is about the same ratio as Fulham's penalties, is it? Or probably better than that, actually. Or, or my pace penalty. It is anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely better than your, your pace penalty ratio, isn't it? Uh, which we'll get onto, of course, um, in just a, a little while. It's just while we're on the Palace, um, another game where Zaha Ha wasn't playing. Another game where they yeah, lost. two two. Yeah, he missed one through COVID, and this one, his wife or partner uh, was having a baby. That's why he wasn't playing. Yeah, um, um, I, I think it's something like they've only won three games since 2016. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, some, something crazy, isn't it? I mean, he tested positive, didn't he? For, or, or he was socially distancing because he'd come into contact with someone, I can't remember. I, yeah. I thought he had it, didn't he? But it was yeah, thing. I think he did, did have it, yeah. yeah. Um, just on a side note, Lewis Hamilton also is the latest major profile sportsman to... Uh, to get it as well. I um, think he could give someone else a chance to win, really. Yeah. Every race. Well, yeah. while you're on your long list of things to talk about, Russell, yes, uh, the Newcastle Villa game's been called off on Friday as well. Yeah, Newcastle, uh, five positive tests, is it? Something like that, in the Newcastle camp. Um, 
And I think it's been called off by the um, Premier League itself, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, Villa saying they very much they agree with it and they were happy with the decision and stuff. And yeah, yeah, so that, that's that. Um, one of the games, well, two other games to mention in, in connection to each other. Um, I didn't get to see them live, but the Everton Leeds game and the West Brom Sheffield United games both ended 1 0 to Leeds and West Brom, respectively. Um, there were 77 shots on goal across the two games and they both finished 1 0. That's quite impressive. <laughs> yeah, I saw both of them. They were both actually really good games, especially the, the Everton Leeds one. And it, and it does go to show that we're not the only team who can create chances but can't actually shoot. That's kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's annoying actually. West Brom and Newcastle winning. We could have done the draws in both those games. Yeah, at the we? start, I was going to say the other results didn't really go for us this weekend. With Fulham as well yesterday, didn't really actually. Yeah. Fulham winning away at Leicester in the season, so it's hard to tell. But I'm pretty confident that Fulham will be below Leicester, for example. Yeah, well, I'm blaming I'm blaming you for the Leicester result, Peter, because you you predicted Vardy to score in a competition we're in, which is an automatic kiss of death. Um, so that and without Vardy scoring, Fulham have got a chance, haven't they? Yeah, so that's that. Um, a couple of other bits of news to go on to before we finish uh, the first half. One is some news today from Brett Mendoza, who's the landlord of the Caxton Arms. We've had him on the show before. Um, Andy Bravery smiling, so I'm, I'm suspecting you've seen this story. He's apparently been trying to loophole the substantial meals rule that's been put in for the reopening of pubs after the latest lockdown, the second lockdown. Um, apparently, you're only allowed to open pubs if you're seating people who are having a substantial meal. There was a big fuss about whether scotch eggs are substantial meals. And anyway, off the back of this, he has, um, in collaboration with one of the brewers that supply his pub, come up with a beer called Substantial Meal, <laughs> which is brilliant. I'm not sure if he's going to get away with this or whether he'll get away with it for a while before it's decided that uh, he can no longer do it. I thought that was superb. I tried to get him on at short notice. I only heard about it this evening. But um, unfortunately, he's in. A, he's actually in a Zoom meeting with other landlords. I'm wondering if they're conspiring to concoct some more, some more uh, clever ideas like Harvey's Roast Dinner or something like that or... Uh, or Dark Star's three-course meal. I don't know. I'm wondering what else they're coming up with next. But it was a great idea, wasn't it, guys? Yeah, it was. I was amused by that, seeing as, the, yeah. seeing as no one seems to have any idea what a substantial meal is, except it yeah. could be a scotch egg, or it could be a scotch egg with salad on the side, or it could be a... <laughs> yeah, I guess substantial meal, they're saying no side dishes on there, or something like that. I think that. It, like, it also like, it, it just shows you the world we live in. It started off, didn't it, as a bit of a joke on um, on social media. Then it's yeah. in the Argus, it's on the TV, and Sky TV is showing it earlier today. It's like, you know, it goes mad, really. Yeah, I think, yeah, it, I think he only did the sign, and the brewery's called something like the Made Up Brewery or something yeah. like that, you know. <laughs> Good on him. Great, great advertisement for him. Just means yeah. better open up and get some customers back in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hopefully, one way or the other, he'll be able to um, benefit. Yeah. From but fair play to him. He's a good guy, Brett, as well. So um, good luck to him with it, really. Um, so, yeah, um, the other two things I wanted to talk about in this first half, um, I do like to mention the FA Cup. I bloody love the FA Cup, especially the early rounds. We mentioned it in round one. Round two, a few bits to mention, it's a record-equaling number of non-league clubs that participated in this year's second round, according to something I was reading. Um, I was a little surprised at that, but fair play. Um, it included Chorley and Marine. Um, Marine, of course, um, who... Um, knocked out a fellow non-league side from two divisions above um, to get into the third round. 
they're only the second team from the eighth tier of English football to ever reach the third round of the cup. So fair play to them. I think they're the lowest ranked ever in terms of where they were in the table. When you say it was also the classiest goal ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. A real scrub affair. It was brilliant. <laughs> and the best bit was the, the goalkeeper who was celebrating his birthday popped out to the local co-op to get some beers to bring back to the dressing room, which his manager only discovered the next, um, the next day when he read the news. And also, I really like the, the people was like celebra- um, celebrating, and one one was in a tree, I think, and some people were on their walls. It's it was classic FA Cup, wasn't it? Even even in a year where people can't really go to football very much, there's a uh, the magic of the cup lives on, unless yeah. you're a fan of having to Waterlooville. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Yeah, which is a shame for them, but at least it guarantees. I, I saw something on social media today. I, I don't know if it's Chorley or Marine, but one of the grounds behind the goal, one of the goals, have got the numbers on there. So if, if the ball goes over, they know which house they have to go around to knock on to get the ball back out the back garden. <laughs> and that, that's the kind of stuff I love to be talking about. On the- I'll tell you, and the other thing, it seems you love the FA Cup so much. It's one of my claims to fame that I've actually scored in the competition. Oh, nice. Yeah. Tell us about that, Quilly. Well, just um, obviously there's like the preliminary qualifying rounds before you get to the first round proper. And um, on that season, I was playing for, I played a few games for, for Ringmer. And um, yeah. I'd like to say that it was a 25-yard screamer, but really it was a cross that just kind of caught the wind and went in the top corner. But nonetheless, I've scored in the FA Cup and uh, I've been dining out on it for years. That's quite a claim to fame. <laughs> Who was it against? Um, Man United. I, no, no. It was a Kent <laughs> team. I'd love to come back to you on that. There was the, we played a couple of Kent teams. I th- um, I'll come back to you on that. I've actually got the... Uh, I've got the I've got the uh, the information somewhere. Yeah. Well, it would be remiss of me not to mention. Apparently, a friend of ours, Wedge, listens to the pod. He's always going on about the fact that he once scored a hat trick at Preston's Deepdale Ground. It was in some kind of I think it was a friendly or something like that, or some kind of charity game or something. Not the FA Cup. Um, it wasn't the FA Cup, no. But apparently, it was a perfect hat trick, literally. So um, apparently, there's no video footage of it though, which is a little bit surprising. Um, but no, I mean, fair play to you though, Andy. That is brilliant to say you've scored yeah. an FA Cup goal. <laughs> you're somewhere on a very long list of FA Cup scorers somewhere. Yeah, way, way back when, yeah. yeah. Can, I, can I say also, I thought it was great yesterday that the draw was so yeah. good for the non-league teams. Because like, yeah. so often you get through to that point and you get like Crawley away and you're probably going to lose. Yeah. And it's not a big day. No offence to Crawley, but it's just not the day you dreamed of as a as Marie. Chorley got... Um, it's, one of them got Derby home, which is a big... Yeah, Chorley, got, Chorley got Derby at home, which is... Dot, got West Ham home. And yeah. one, whoever it was, the other one got a home tie. It's over the other non-leagues. Oh, Boreham Wood got uh, Millwall home. So they yeah. all got top two level teams at home, which is... Yeah, they're all brilliant. But that one, I'm not sure if people call that when you said it, but um, Marie getting Tottenham, that is the biggest distance between, in terms of positions, between two teams in the history of the competition. Because obviously the fact that uh, a team of that level has got to the third round, second time ever... That's the round where the Prem comes in. And, and of course, Spurs at the moment, at least, are top of the table. Do you think Spurs will give their reserves like Bale and Ali a go in that game? Yeah, well, can you imagine? And there will be, unless things change, as it stands, they'll be able to have some fans in the ground as well, which will be brilliant. Um, I mean, what, what that, that's got to be on TV. <laughs> Nailed on, isn't it? They've got yeah. Neil manager, Neil, Neil Young as manager, but not that one. Um <laughs> And, you know, it's, it's got the makings of a great story. If they get anything out of that game, a goal, 
you know, a penalty, anything, you know, it's just going to be superb. There must so, be headline writers lining up with glee in the basis they get a draw or something like that and they can make Neil Young jokes. <laughs> There's got to be a few jokes centred around the name Marine as well, I'm sure, going yeah. into the game as well. But uh, that was superb stuff. Um, we've got to mention, of course, the Albion. We come into it at this stage. Peter, you and I in particular are fuming about this draw because this is the draw. I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for this for about a yeah. decade to finally get the chance to go to Newport County away to tick it off the 92. We've got roughly six or seven clubs each to go to, haven't we, to, to, to meet the, to get in the 92 club. Yeah. We can't go to the game, obviously, because you know, Welsh restrictions are harsh anyway. There's no away fans anyway. Nothing's going to change by January. And, yeah, we get Newport away, don't we? Yeah, it's, it's totally typical. The one, yeah. the flight brights is I'm pretty sure it'll be on TV because it's prime for an upset, I'd say, especially yeah. if we turn up with our our slightly multinational um, reserves who probably won't fancy Newport's pitch. You can't imagine like Alexis McAllister having played off and on, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, Bernardo and that sort of thing, play, having played very regularly on pitches like Newport normally have. It, it must be, given their recent record, prime for an upset. A new, is Newport's pitch bad? Because the thing is, we were mentioning Maradona earlier and having to play on all sorts of... They play rugby. They play rugby, no, 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 as well. Yeah. The so it's at that level have actually good quality, but I think Newport's does actually struggle. Yeah, I think that is famously, or certainly it has been in previous seasons, famously poor, and they play rugby on it, so obviously it churns it up even worse. Well, let's so, get Doffy back in for a few seasons back. Sorry? Was that where Ben White was a few yeah, seasons? Yeah, he's like his yeah. first moment there. Newport but they, have a good... They're Leeds at home in recent years, so... Just going to say, they've got a good cup pedigree, and um, they've also beaten us at the Amex in the League Cup, and um, them. Yeah, apparently the late. Yeah, I was at that game. Yeah, the late Justin Edinburgh um, causing the upset there. He was pretty angry at the time that Calvi broke one of their players' legs, which he did do, but it was an accident. He was sent off. It was rescinded, which indicates the point that it was. Well, no, had Stevens at Middlesbrough, the referee reacted to the injury rather than the tackle. I think the yeah, think... red card at the time were a foul. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, Cordy didn't actually touch the player's leg, but they both went in, in on the ball and they hit the ball at the same time. And the yeah. of that actually yeah. broke the player's leg. Yeah. Um, and apparently, I'm not sure in relation to what exactly, but apparently Justin Edinburgh called somebody a see you next Tuesday in the crowd as well, for good measure as well. Nice move. <laughs> I don't want to speak out of the dead, but that wasn't a class move, I have to say, on that one. Um, Anyway, yeah, in general, though, views on the draw for us, Newport away, aside from the disappointment of not being able to go to the game, um, is it a good draw for us? Because they've got a good cup pedigree. Very tough, I'd say. Big tricky, isn't it? Yeah, they're uh, tough as well of League Two, I think, aren't they? Or tough yeah. or something? Well, I think I'd describe it as a potential banana skin. And there we have it. I was going to reintroduce the cliche of the week this week. We've, we've got it already. Can you or, or, to up, or, or to update it, potential for a cup set, which I yes. really hate the term <laughs> cup set. <laughs> I love a cup set. And that's why we're having a cup date uh, tonight. Um, <laughs> head in hands, pizza. Um, is it a potential banana skin? Can you, can you actually have a potential banana skin? Surely it's a banana skin you have the potential to slip on rather than it being a potential. The banana skin is a banana skin already. It's not got the potential to be one, has it? That's far too philosophical for this time of night, Russ. I'll well, make, it, I'll make it all a bit more easier for you. I think we're going to win 2-0. There we go. Lovely. There I like go. it. Well, we'll, um, we'll hopefully get a result there. I would like to see us go on another cup run because I think we're going to be um, half safe by January, the way we've been playing. 
<laughs> okay, we've moved on to positivity here to complete craziness. <laughs> Right. Finally, in this first half, um, last night, that is to say Monday night, there was a club forum, online forum, the latest in a number of um, meetings that fans have had the opportunity to have with Paul Barber, also Jenny Gower from the uh, ticketing team, and Paul Camelin, who's the head of media who was hosting. Um, season ticket holders were allowed to log in and to ask questions about the upcoming arrangements for what is now the permission for fans to come back to games. So Brighton and Hope's in Tier 2. If you live in Tier 3, you're not allowed to travel into the area for games. But if you are in Brighton and Hove or another Tier 2 area, you are allowed to travel to matches in a 2,000 capacity um, or 2,000 limit. Um, so lots of questions being asked about that. Guys, did any of you log in, first of all? Did any of you catch it? I... I... Uh, no, I I I tried tried to log in to buy a ticket this morning, but they're gone by the time I got yeah. in. Well, essentially, what it was to give, to give you an, an outline of it, they were just clarifying a few things to do with wearing of masks and all, all that sort of stuff. I won't go into details on that. They they mentioned that there's two thousand were in the first tier priority group, um, so those two thousand were obviously the guaranteed two thousand. Apparently, about fifty percent. Um, took up the ticket option from that group. So 2,000 out of the 23, 23 and a half thousand season ticket holders, um, half of that lot took it up. It then went into tier two, uh, which I don't think um, Peter or Andy K, you're, you're, you're not in that way. Were you in tier I, two? I, I, was, I was in tier two, so it's not all season ticket holders. Yeah. So, um. yeah, so, so I, I missed out on that. And then... Um, it didn't go to tier three because it sold out apparently pretty quickly within the tier two area, which ties in what you just said, Andy K. Andy B, I think you're in tier one, aren't you? So did you take up your ticket? Yeah, I did. Yeah, my dad, my dad didn't want his, but I took mine up. Yeah, it was really cool. yeah quite easy to book it. Just, you're going um, to be our eyes on the ground, then, I guess, when that game takes place. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a live. Yeah, like I, like I said, I need to take my notepad and, and my, my pencil, and I make notes what happens every minute, so we can report back <laughs> for the uh, for the Seagulls Over London Zoom meeting. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think if I'm, you know, it's going to be a bit weird. Um, I'm not sure if when I walk away at the end of it, how much I'm going to enjoy it, but it's certainly going to, hopefully, going to give me an opportunity to watch Lamptey live. And, yeah. and Ben White, and that's what I guess I'm most excited about is watching mm. those two players for us. And I yeah, I, I, I went to the um, the Chelsea pilot game, yeah. uh, and it's a very different experience. But it's it's just nice to be there. Um, I, I went straight to the bar to get a pie and some Harvey's, um, mm. and yeah, just nice to watch some live live football. But uh, you have you have to do your damnedest to create an atmosphere to to make it unfair on the other teams in 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 the Premier League. Yeah, it's unclear what the protocol is on whether whether you can uh, shout or any of that sort of stuff. I think you can't celebrate except with the, the people from your bubble, but you are individually separated by about three seats when you're in the stadium. There's a yeah. checkerboard system. It's fine anyway with the AR these days. You can't celebrate anyway. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There is that too. Yeah, the checkerboard system is the one they had when Andy, Andy K, you went to the, to the Chelsea game. I think it's the same system. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for a directive from the league as to whether they can serve alcohol. You can't bring in any of your own beverages. Um, that's one thing they've said. 
you will have a good chance of being able to park in the stadium. There's going to be 800 parking spaces available, um, apparently, um, or somewhere along those lines. And obviously with 2,000 fans and some people travelling in groups, some people travelling by public transport, that should accommodate most people. Other car parking facilities will be available. Um, I think coach services, if you wanted, if you're able to get a coach service going, which seems unlikely given the circumstances, that's also doable. You have to wear your masks within sight of the, uh, in, in the um, seating areas, apparently. You can only take your mask off when you're eating food. And though that doesn't mean 10, 20 minutes sipping on a, a bottle of water or nibbling one chip, apparently, or maybe scotch eggs as well. Maybe they're out of the equation, who knows? Um, but I, I think it's all pretty formulaic. They've got a very high-tech system. That you, you, you have to have photo ID if you're over 12, I think. Um, you have you don't have to bring your season cards because it's the electric ticket on your phone. They've got a high-tech system where it reads your temperature and reads your ticket, I think, as you go in. And um, I think it's all the lower areas. It's the areas there. In. That, those are the main points I took from it. There was a few other bits and pieces. Um, somebody asked something quite hilarious. I can't remember what it was now. I'll see if I can remember later on. But that was the general idea. Um, I just could be getting some fans in, isn't it? I mean, Paul Barber said, we're not going to be making a profit on this, quite the opposite. But at least it get, gets some kind of football culture going. It gets some people the boost of being able to see their team again. It's good for mental health for those that can go. Um, I don't know, watching Albion's never been that good for my mental health, to be honest. (laughs) But but it's about trialling it and such that they can let, you know, hopefully gradually higher numbers into the stadium. Yes, it's a long road to getting back to 30,000 people at the Amex and it's the first step on that route. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and and the other thing to mention is 10 of the 20 clubs fall into an area which um, allows... Yeah, is in a governmental tier where games are allowed to take place. Um, ten can, ten can't. And I think as fans are allowed to attend rather than games allowed to take. Place. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was just checking if you're awake, Andy. On that red wine, I wanted to make sure you're not feeling sleepy. So our next, our next away game we, at Leicester, they can't, can they? Because they've been in tier three since about since they they, they had a tier of them, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. So then after that, we're on, either in London or Brighton for the next four, four games. So we, we'll have people at every game because West Ham away and uh, Fulham away will both have. Um, yeah, I think um, the ones that can't do is I think it's Villa, Burnley, City United. Um, I can't remember Newcastle maybe. Yeah, as well. yeah, it's, it's yeah. most of the north basically, apart apart from Liverpool and Everton. Um, yeah, have the, the north and the Midlands. Yeah, so there, there we have it. Um, that's pretty much it for me, unless you guys have got anything else in the general football yeah. news um, sector. So we'll have a short break now. I'm going to refill with another beer. I'm on my, I've just had my December the 1st Advent calendar beer, Citra Dreams from Beer 52. Very nice it was too. Peter's looking on jealously, um, even though he does have an Advent calendar, beer related as well. Um, are you sure you're not tempted, Peter? There's an interval you can get a beer. Very nice. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll take this short break. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the second part of this episode, episode 84, with me, Andy B, Andy K, and Peter M. We might as well do it all in initial form. Um, welcome back, boys. And Andy B, straight back to you. The FA Cup, your ringman anecdote. You have a bit more information, just for clarity, don't you? 
I do, I do. I've been on the um, I've been on the Wikipedia page, and they're telling me that in 85-86, Ringmer beat Whitstable Town 2-1, and I'm pretty confident I scored the first goal for Ringmer in that game. So Brilliant. there you go. Just, just not, so you know. Not bad. Not bad at all. Very impressed. Well, if you had that game that day, feel free to ring into the show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, phone number. By the way, it's probably worth me mentioning at this point, speaking of non-league Sussex football, that um, we're doing a special with um, Southwick, the second of our non-league specials. And Andy B, you are going to return to us, aren't you, to to help out hosting on that one, uh, where we've got uh, a guy who I think is a Brighton and Southwick fan. He's going to tell us about what's been going on there because there's been all sorts of shenanigans and whatnot. So we'll be finding out more about that. Um, Looking forward to that one on Thursday, Andy. Absolutely, yeah. Give me an opportunity to reminisce a bit. I might even be able to come up and ramble on a bit about the stories how I ended up being in the uh, Brighton youth team for a little while. Yeah, well, I'll be in the at the same time. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to know what the story is because it sounds like it's another one of those where, you know, a football team is turfed out of a perfectly good football ground, old barn way, a lot of tradition there, and um, you know, and almost go out of existence. So it'd be quite interesting to find out what the story is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stay tuned for that one. We're recording it Thursday. I'm not sure exactly when we'll release it. Um, it partly depends if we tag in a um, Southampton preview, which we might do, but uh, it'll be out later in the week. Anyway, stay tuned for that one. Anyway, part two is mainly about the Liverpool game. Let's get to it, guys. One all draw. Um, just to start with, Klopp pre-match had issued some um, irritational comments regarding subs and schedules I kind of agree with him I do think it's been tough part of it is just circumstantial there's nothing we can do about it the sub issue I agree with him though we could have easily had by now an agreement to have five subs and maybe nine on the bench and wouldn't have objected to it I know the Albion wouldn't have done but anyway moving into the match itself um, we started with um, the back three of Dunk as captain White and of course um, we had I've just gone out of my head his name. Webster. Uh, Webster, of course, Webster. And then we had in central mid, we had Grosh and Basuma. Soddy playing wide left. We had Veltman in the right back or right wing back position, depending on your interpretation. Further forward, we had Morpé with Connolly and Welbeck. Three strikers, so to speak, all starting in the game. A little bit of an eyebrow raiser for some people there. Um, views on the lineup to start with? Was it a good lineup going into the game from your viewpoint, Peter? I was surprised, to be honest, with the attacking nature of it. But as the game went on, it became, or the, the game started almost, it became pretty clear why we did it. And it actually pretty much worked, I would say, very well. It was like we, the way we set up looked, yeah, really, really trust, uh, really um, tested a defence. And yeah, Potter got it right, in my opinion. I was also yeah. concerned about Grosh in central midfield alongside. Assuming whether there'll be enough cover, but they 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 played really well as well. So yeah, yeah. it's it a gutsy selection from my point of view, um, and you know especially given that we don't have much cover in that position up front on the bench. I mean, you can argue Jahanbach and Trossard can play that role, but um, you know we we were going for it given that we were missing Lamptey, of course, who was suspended for a match. The club um, did argue that when uh, when people were complaining about the number of strikers on the uh, available. They did actually argue that, didn't they? That Trossard and Jahanbach were both... We had five strikers, including Trossard and Jahanbach. Yeah. I guess in fairness to them, Jahanbach did play as a striker for Alkmaar, wasn't it? 
um, earlier in his career. But anyway, anyway, digression there. Um, yeah, so a decent lineup, certainly. Um, Liverpool did start with all guns blazing. They did have a chance early on through um, Lewis, uh, through um, Mohamed Salah. Um, he broke through, had a shot uh, from an angle just wide to the left in the first few minutes. Um, but really, after we weathered that first what, 10 minute storm or so, we came into it and we had two golden opportunities to go in front. And we, we could and probably should have been 2 0 in front by the 20th minute, because on 11 minutes, Connolly from a through ball by Morpé, um, pretty decent one as well, I thought. Um, he was basically pretty much sure on goal. He had a defender bearing down on him, but as he got to the edge of the area, he got off his shot. It looked like he was bending into the corner, but it just didn't. Uh, we were saying, Andy, at the time when we watched the game yeah. live together um, via Zoom, um, we, we said that he just didn't get the curl on it, that he clearly was trying to get from the way he opened his body up. And for some reason, it just didn't curve and it just drifted flat past the post, the far post, didn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was, um, to go back to the lineup, I was very pleased with, with, with having that lineup. And I think that incident probably showed why we pit three forwards. Um, and, you know, we, we've got we've got pace there up front with those, mm. those three. I mean, Connolly and Welbeck probably especially. Um, Liverpool play a high, high line um, and we exploited that. Um, and I, I think you're quite right in what you're saying. First five or ten minutes, they really did blitz us. Um, but... Um, uh, I also agree, uh, and I know that there are some that don't. I also agree with you about your comments about Klopp. Um, Brighton did vote for five substitutions um, because it's a it's a kind of compressed season. I I think there ought to be. I, I thought it worked pretty well, um, uh, because, um, especially the idea of only being able to make them at three points. Uh, mm. um, in, in, in the half um, and I also think Klopp's point about the it was especially about the lunchtime kickoff following on from a Wednesday game um, is fair enough and um, beyond that blitz in the first kind of five five ten minutes um, I don't think we really saw the best of Liverpool we certainly didn't see the best of their press um, they they were very good um, I thought in the first 15, 20 minutes of the second half again. But apart from that, I thought we, um, uh, I wouldn't say controlled or dominated the game. I, uh, I I thought we were very strong opponents of them. Yeah, I mean, look, at, I saw their game in midweek and I thought that they were pretty poor. Uh, admittedly, it was a bit of a scratch squad and some of those players haven't played together. But I thought they were pretty poor. And Mane in particular was poor one of their star players. And in this match at the weekend, I thought Robertson had a pretty quiet game. Um, part of that credit goes down to Veltman handling the situation pretty well. But, yeah, but, it's- but Rob, while you mentioned Robertson, he's played every minute of um, the Premier League season. Uh, yeah, it's the telling sign, isn't it, of, yeah. of this stretched um, schedule. Yeah. And in, in one sense, that's... Um, I, I I do take the point that Klopp should be rotating his players more, um, hmm. uh, but it becomes a little bit diff, difficult with defenders, I think, um, to do that because it, it's so much about 
um, the organisation of defence um, and the amount of work that full bats get through. And um, I suppose Robertson would be about the exemplar of that. Um, yeah. I mean, he's a wonderful player, but uh, fortunately he wasn't that good on Saturday. Yeah. Well, we, we had that chance, the Connolly chance on, I think it was 11 minutes. On 19 minutes, of course, the penalty came. Webster had looped ahead of forward. Biss um, had made some space for himself, uh, chesting it down. Knocked it on quite stylishly for Connolly. He ghosted on into the box on the left-hand side, fouled by Nico Williams, or Nico Williams, I get it. Um, no, no real question about that. I think, uh, I mean, wasn't a huge amount of contact, but the fact is there was some. Good to see Connolly wasn't being overlooked for a, a foul this time, which was the case in other matches. Um, and so we had a penalty, game on, 1-0, except for the fact it wasn't, because that little post got in the way again. Well, it didn't get in the way, we actually avoided the post. We managed to put it past the same post that Connolly had done. Um, yeah, because Morpay had sent the goalie the wrong way. He'd done the hard bit, um, but he couldn't get on target. Very, very frustrating, wasn't it? And do you think, would you have allowed Morpay to take that? He's yeah, back. well, I mean, he, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Morpay. He's, he's been um, a little bit off his game. You know, obviously he has dropped that, that one game. Um, it subsequently came out that there'd been a falling out. Um, he's looked a little bit um, uh, uh, distracted of late. I mean, I might put it that way. Um, and, of course, he did go off soon after um, missing that penalty. Mm. Um, you know, he, he, he scored two penalties beforehand quite comfortable. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't think you could take it off him really because I mean yeah. well how's it look if you've got your top scorer in there who scored both his penalties this season is a little bit low on confidence you take a penalty taking away from him that's really asking for a you know for to lose even more confidence I would say oh but Peter I'm speaking the benefit of hindsight <laughs> I mean yeah but sitting at looking at it from the point of view when Connolly went down I don't yeah. think in any way anyone could have taken it off him yes mm. yes now you obviously probably give the next one to Grosh if he's on the pitch but I don't think there's any way at the time that Mope could have not taken the penalty. Was Groshaw a penalty taker first choice? He missed point? a couple at the beginning of the of Hewton's last season. Yeah. Uh, Hewton, and he and that's why he got taken away from Murray, got it back, I think, after a while. Because Murray yeah. missed at least one and then Grosh took over. And then Grosh missed at least one, if not two, and then Murray took over again. Well, Mope, as, as you said, Andy Kay, um, he came off, I think it was seven minutes later, 26th minute, Trossard coming on. Um, some people speculating that he was just um, going off in shame at having missed the penalty. Um, I, in one sense, I like to think that wasn't the case. Um, having said that, if it was for an injury, which is more likely, um, hopefully it's nothing too serious. I haven't actually read the press to find out um, what's going on with that, but um, hopefully it's nothing serious. Trossard came on. Um, didn't ostensibly affect the way we were playing particularly, I didn't think. I thought we carried on playing well. 40, 34th minute. Uh, Grosh intercepted just inside our own half. Um, and I think a first time ball forwards to Con um, with, with style to Connolly. Connolly then very neatly um, controlled the ball, laid it off, I think, for Trossard. It was about 30 yards from goal, ran in, cut inside, and then shot just past. You've guessed it in the same post again. <laughs> a bit of a recurring theme going on in this match. Um, so we could have. Again, we could have scored that. That was yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think I think if you if you've got it that if Connolly scores and we score the penalty, Connolly's had a fantastic first half. Yeah. Yeah. You know, That's I think it just it's just that we're all left there thinking frustrated that we're not t- tuning up. Well, nearly yeah. as frustrated as he was when he got taken off. But I mean, for pace, he was he was all over them, and he he is only twenty years old. So you know, it's kind of got to give him the bit of the benefit of the doubt. But um. I do feel Brighton build players up and then, but you know, after he got built up massively after the Tottenham game last year, probably overly after one game, and then now people are ready to jump to push him, put him down again really quickly as well after a, you know, in and out time over the last year or so. And it, it feels like, yeah, exactly. He's so young. Well, that, that, as far as I'm concerned, that was his best performance since that Tottenham game. And, um, I think you're quite right to point out his age. There aren't many 20-year-old strikers in the Premier League. In mm. fact, I'm racking my brains. Who else is there? There's that guy. No, but the one, the one that I always, the one that I always think about is is Calvert Lewin, who two or three years at Everton played quite a few games, didn't really score many goals, didn't ever look that dangerous. I mean, I know he's maybe falling away a little bit at the moment, but you know, this season he's having a great season, and that's. Kind of why I always wonder if you know if Connolly could, will will be like that. He has two or three years, and then all of a sudden they all start going in. I mean, who knows? Yeah, Calvert Lewin, I think, is only two goals away from his um, equaling his record for a season in the Prem at this uh, fairly early stage of his career. So that tells you something. Um, well, Harry Kane was something similar. You know, he didn't really yeah. stop playing regularly for yeah. top. Yeah. And, and the and the yeah. guy at Leeds, the, who's the the Lampard. Well, yeah, even to a, you know. to a different degree, not being brought up here, but Mo Salah obviously had a very unsuccessful spell at Chelsea before he yeah. then came back to Liverpool and had a obviously brilliant. I mean, I'm not suggesting that Conley is going to be anywhere near that good, but I think you absolutely have to stick with him. I think, given time, he he will flourish. He will he will do well for us. The only missing ingredient, I think, is um, is, is more of a prolific record in front of goal. I think his movement's good. He's obviously got the pace. I think he'll he'll learn a lot about the game as he goes on. He'll get better at the other elements that he's already reasonably good at. And the finishing will get better as he gets A, more experience and B, more confidence. So composure. And playing play alongside Welbeck will help as well because he's got so much yeah. experience. Yeah. I, I, I think, I mean, I saw Connolly play quite a lot when he was uh, in the development squad and he is a good finisher. Um, yeah. but obviously, it's such a massive jump to this level. He's he's also he's also very strong and he's got that kind of low centre of gravity. I mean, we're, you know, I'm not trying to say that he has the, has the kind of balance that Maradona did, but he's got that low centre of gravity, um, uh, um, such that he can use his body to kind of shield the ball and um, and uh, you know he's quite adept at winning penalties. Um, what he did um, on Saturday was he got his body in front of a, a young naive defender um, and moved across him such that if if the defender wanted to go with him then he was going to take him down and he fell into yeah. that trap. Nick Hamlin was in a great time at the Amex because he got he got substituted at half time in the game last season because Lamptey terrorised him and he got booked at left back and then this year at right back he got taken off at half time and we gave away a penalty so he's he's not had a great time at the Amex so far. Yeah, they, it's just got the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. And, and Connolly, I think, you know, he's he's already got that, that bit of savvy about him. There's a, there's a bit of a, a an edginess to him, I think. We mentioned Maradona, nothing like that. But um, 
almost the, the elements of him remind me of Rooney, although he's a much smaller guy. There's a, there's a similar sort of persona about him, the way he, he, he appears on the pitch, the way he, he moves around, his charisma is quite similar. I don't know if he's got quite the strength or quite the technique yet to, you know, to be compared in that sense. But, you know, the general ambience is quite similar, isn't it? If you look at his goals as well, they've all been pretty well taken. I mean, the Tottenham one was obviously a rebound, but then the second goal against Spurs was brilliant. The one against Burnley had no right to get to and then slotted in yeah, for a that's great. And great the Newcastle one was a really good finish as well. This yeah. season. And didn't he, was it him that had the chance which came off the line at Newcastle as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the so, one where he, he lobbed it over the goalkeeper. Um, yeah. When we battered them nil-nil uh, yeah. in that game. Um, yeah, I... I, I do get the similarity between Connolly and Rooney, although um, he, he certainly hasn't got the vision, the technique, the, the skill no. that Rooney did. And, of course, Rooney was coming for it at 16 then. Um, and, you know, Rooney's career has kind of um, gone in the opposite tra- trajectory that Jamie Vardy ha- has, because yeah. they're similar age, actually. Um, whereas Var- Vardy's still looking like a... He looks as though he's getting better each season. Yeah. yeah. Which is really scary, isn't it? Very, very much indeed. But, Especially given yeah. our next away game. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. Well, one, one other thing to mention, actually, just going back to the penalty. Have we scored that penalty? Um, sorry, um, the, the chance with Connolly. Have we scored that chance? Do you think Morpé would have had a greater chance of scoring his penalty? I do. I think he'd be more relaxed somehow. Yeah. yeah, but then mm. if the game if it's one nil, the game's different, so we may not get the penalty. True, so. true, maybe not. Yeah, but that that was it. I mean, that was pretty much it in the first half, except for one major incident that occurred just before half time. I think it was something like the forty second minute, wasn't it? Salah offside uh, just towards half time. Um, it was described as a goal completely against the run of play. Um, it was then obviously ruled out by VAR anyway. Um, contentious in the sense that it was very marginal, but it was offside um, according Lovely. to the letter of the law. Um, I don't think there's any disagreements on that, is there? I, I know Liverpool fans weren't happy. Well, um, you, you can't disagree um, with decisions like that. All I can say is, um, to the naked eye, uh, it really didn't look off, offside at all. Uh, no. no I, I, was in a, I was in a mode of, of feeling pretty gutted when it went in because I thought, oh, there we go. Ghosted than the one against Everton that Mane was it Mane scored or was off Mane was offside wasn't he Henderson scored which actually even on the VAR lines didn't look offside when you when you drew the lines and all that it looked clearly offside it was you yeah. know not clearly but it was you could see the line for the for Salah after the line for Ben White so I mean it, it yeah I know Liverpool fans are not happy about it they're they're fuming because they've had the whole thing of being up about. They think they've scored. Then they've got the whole VAR thing of it being slowed down. Also, the fact that it's so marginal. But the fact is, you know, they can complain about that. But they might have been up against a much more confident Albion side had we been given the decisions that they were complaining they weren't given when we played last season. We would have been a much more confident side going into this year, wouldn't we? Um, I mean, it's, it's small margins. It's We've small had two margins. or three of Dan Byrne being that, that far offside and goals being disallowed as a result. He scored yeah. well, I think West Ham was it last year at home when we when we when Trossard scored as well. So I mean yeah. it happens. You can't you've got to accept it it's the way it is. It wasn't at least it was his foot, unlike Bamford when it was pointing towards where he wanted it, his his arm was offside. Well that, that was ridiculous. You've got to say that was a ridiculous decision. Um 
And there are, of course, ongoing issues that we could debate forever about. We won't go into it because there's plenty to talk about. But other, other than for me to say that I think when all said and done, with all the fuss and Sky Sports build it as a controversial game or, or controversial weekend for VAR, especially at the Amex. That was one of the quotes I picked up from, from their coverage. No, it wasn't. The only controversy was a decision that nobody mentioned, which we'll come to later, to do with a foul involving Ben White. But all of the key decisions, when all said and done, yes, they might have been missed without VAR, but all of those key decisions were the correct decisions. Yeah. It was, in our game at least, a good weekend for VAR, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get into more of the details as we go. But yeah, I mean, that, that was the first half. Half time came, second half, Henderson came on for Williams. Clearly, they'd seen that there was a major issue with our three attacking players up front. He was struggling. He, he struggled last year, as you said, Peter. He's struggling again this season. He came off. Milner dropped from midfield back to right back. And um, Henderson went into midfield. And Henderson did make a difference to both the shape and the impetus of Liverpool's team. Certainly improved them in the second half, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for me, what they did well then was they actually retained the ball. And that gave them a bit of control. And they started to set the pace. But they still didn't outplay us. And they still didn't create many chances. But they just looked like they had, they'd shored up, you know, we weren't making so many runs behind them. And they shored up that midfield, central midfield. And obviously Henderson could control the pace. But I still felt, you know, like I think even last season, probably that they would have dominated, created some chances and it would have all ended up like 2-0. But it didn't. You know, we still we stuck in there and um, we looked good. Yeah, the next chance, actually, 54 minutes, was, in fact, another one for us. Um, unfortunately, it came to nothing in the end, but White um, picked up a loose ball in his own area, played it forward to Welbeck, a couple of really nice little touches, went on a break down the right-hand side, um, ended up with six touches altogether, cut inside, left-footed shot, near post, unfortunately, straight at the goalie. But half yeah. of the shot, a really good move on the counter. Um, we yeah, could have been... well, I mean, there, there were two players up on that counter as well, and I, I thought... Yeah. Probably should have passed it. Yeah, um, I remember yeah. that. I remember that. Okay. I was going to say, I remember that move because I think basically at one point he's got it on his right foot. I think if he's going to bring those two players in, he's got to put the ball over there. And once he goes on his left foot, he only really has the option then of a shot at goal. Yeah, I, yeah. I did wonder. I, I, I think he should have crossed, but I did wonder whether certainly Connolly was a bit too far forward and a bit, maybe yeah. someone should have pulled back a little bit to allow you know, kind of a chance to shoot rather than both, I think, went into the six-yard box or around that sort of area. And yeah. whether Welbeck look, looked up and saw that they were there and it was hard to reach them in the shot as a result. Yeah, it still felt like yeah. there's a bit of a slight bit of naivety in some of our attacking. It felt like there was more exploitation to be had in that situation. Yeah. Well, it's like so the goal at Villa last uh, a week ago or whatever, mm-hmm. when, you know, rather than putting it in the box, Grosh looked up and played it across the, the edge of the area to March, who was obviously hanging back. And that's the sort of thing you maybe wanted one of them to, one of them to step back a bit and to allow a different option to, to rather than have both of them going right into the main part of the area. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got, I, my sense was that he, he had it on the right foot. He looked up. Neither of them was going to be an easy pass. And he just thought, well, I'll put it on my left and I'll have a go at the goal myself. And that's, you know. Yeah, yeah never mind. Except for the fact that five minutes later, we went 1-0 down. Um, 59th minute. Um, it was Basuma. He had actually nice intercepted block came in, but unfortunately then in the follow-up he slipped over, which allowed them to gain a bit of ground. Robertson played in Salah first time. Salah played in Jota first time. 
Um, what was interesting about the move, I mean, it ended in a goal, but White made a really great sort of like a cover run around the back of the defence. Yeah. Um, I picked up on that, which I was quite impressed with. Yeah. Um, he anticipated where Jota was going to go. He anticipated a couple of defenders were going to struggle to get to it. So he went around the back, started his run early, got into as far, as close as he could into the line of where he thought the shot was going to come from, um, which it, indeed it did. Unfortunately, two things happened. One is it took a slight nick off of his leg, which is all he could get on it, which I think took the ball just a fraction further away from the goalie, just a tiny bit, and, and also up a bit. Secondly, I think it put Ryan off, knowing exactly what was going to happen. I think Ryan must have been anticipating the ball was going to come over at a, at a horrendously different angle off of White's leg. Um, it just gave him that just that fleeting moment of hesitation, which possibly, possibly might have made a difference to him. Yes, it, made... it was a brilliantly placed goal. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, it was a good. Was a good player in the Premier League, Yota, and he there that was superbly taken. I mean, yeah. you, I don't like, because obviously Bright never conceded a goal, but you've sometimes got to hold your hand up and say, yeah, you could argue White might have, you know, if he'd not got it, Ryan might have tipped it away. But you sometimes have to say, look, there's, there's a player yeah. who's on the form of his life, and that was a, yeah, superb goal. Yeah, it's, it's fast and to the point. It's a bit like the Mason Greenwood goal, I think they scored against us, um, United. Uh, the, the Fernandez one. Fernandez, sorry, yeah, that's right, that, yeah. Brilliant, but... No um, Boom, 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 bam, Liverpool in that first season in the Premier League at the Amex, that's that's when, when I almost stood up to applaud the opposition. They were amazing in that game. Yeah. So Murray missed a chance and then like about 10 seconds yeah. later they'd scored their third goal or something. Yeah, yeah. Like that. yeah the bar, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, such a shame. But yeah, so that was it. So that was 1-0 and we started to think despite everything, Liverpool had turned this round second half we're still in it, but then they score one nil. You think, well, that's probably going to be it. And the next thing that happened was a few subs. Um, Connolly went off. We mentioned he wasn't happy with that. Lalana came on, and I think a minute later, 64th minute, Salah went off. Mane came on. Neither Connolly nor Salah looked very happy with being subbed off. In, in either case, I have to say, Salah did put his coat on. Connolly was too angry. He was still hot under the collar. Didn't need his coat on in the freezing weather. Um, so you know, I mean. You can understand it in one sense. It's a good thing that he, he wanted more from the game. He's probably angry with himself, maybe, maybe not. But to be honest, do you think do you think it was the right decision to bring Connolly off? Because I'm I'm not sure. There's been a debate with some people whether it was actually a case of he, his his effect, which had been very good in the game, was waning. Other people think that he still had something to offer. Andy Kay, you're shaking your head though. What, what's um, what's your view on it? Um... I I I think think it was too early, uh, and I think the decision was actually to bring Lilana on after an hour. That that was almost like a predetermined decision. Yeah. And I'm I'm not really just speaking from hindsight here because um, you're about to say that Lilana went off soon afterwards. Um, yeah, about seven minutes later, <laughs> running down the tunnel quite quickly. Um, yeah. um yeah, I, 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 I didn't think it was right. I mean, I really take Andy's point that he's made already is that uh, Henderson did make a difference. They were controlling um, the ball, uh, and we seemed to be camped in a little bit um, mm. for 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, and then after that, 
you know, I, I can't really remember too much happening um, for the rest of the game. I mean, you're looking at some notes and you're going to prove me that my memory wasn't quite working. Not quite much, well. no. There's one obvious... Uh... I actually could understand why you brought Connolly off, actually. I, I thought he'd faded, partly because of what Andy was saying about the about Henderson coming on and having more of the ball, um, and they just dealt with him better, I thought, second half. Partly, I wonder if you know, he hasn't started a game for us for quite a while, whether he was tiring a little bit, although his reaction wouldn't suggest that. And partly because once we'd gone one down, I think the sub was after we went one nil down, wasn't it? Um, I could understand Liverpool might sit a bit deeper, even naturally, and you'd need someone to unlock them as compared to someone to go running behind. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's behind. Yeah. I, I think one thing we know for sure is it wasn't a tactical move to bring Lallana off, given that he'd only had seven minutes. I think there's the speculation he might have had a dicky stomach, he might have had some kind of an illness. Obviously, the other option is that he might have taken some kind of a twinge or an injury. But yeah, he lasted only seven minutes. He did get to play against his old team, <laughs> but just about. Um, a bit of a shame. Um, a minute later, Welbeck and um, Phillips clashed heads, actually. Nothing too nasty, although Welbeck was feeling, uh, I think, a bit of a sore one for a minute or two. A couple of minutes later, Milner was um, down with what looked like an hamstring. Again, another symptom of what Klopp admittedly admitted was the case for both teams. You know, we're getting a lot of soft tissue injuries and muscles being pulled like that. So Curtis Jones came on for Milner in midfield. 82 minutes, Potter, Jota, sorry, fouled by White. I put fouled in in, in quote marks. This was the only really annoying bit referee-wise in the game. Ridiculous decision. First of all, it wasn't a foul. He, um, Jota was, I think he received a couple of, there was a couple of quick passes. He was coming in, breaking in from distance towards the box. White read it very quickly, very well. Cut into his path directly, face on. Played a, a simple interceptive leg into position. Won the ball. Jota went over like he'd been shot, to be honest, which I wasn't impressed with. Um, but off, maybe off the back of that or whatever, I don't know. The ref gave not only a foul to Liverpool, but a, but a yellow card to White, which, again, this goes back to what I've been moaning about on and on. The, the number of niggly yellows we get in games really pisses me off. Um, it, no, they even, it wasn't even... It for a red, didn't they? Because they, they actually were talking about going to VAR on a commentary, I thought. For... Yeah, and he got the ball... Yes, he made contact with Jota, but only because Jota was running directly towards him. And he, he went up in the air, as I said, like he'd been shot. You know, it, just, it, was, it made uh, Trezeguet's look um, fairly embarrassing, you know, by, by comparison. carried away. <laughs> well, maybe sometimes, though, I think sometimes yeah. the problem is you don't, you don't get to see the replays in, in um, you know, at full speed. Mm. I do wonder at full speed whether it looked like he, he, won, he won the ball, but then he went through the player. When actually, yeah. when he slows down... Mm. He has no choice but to do. His momentum takes him through. You know, you know what? I, I, I suppose it's... that would have been the only VAR controversy. Is I think the the there's a goal comes from the resulting free kick. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I look back at it just to, obviously in prep for this, and the first time I looked at it, I could see how it looked, could have looked bad if you had half an eye on it, not properly. You could think, oh, that looked like a bit of a rough challenge, quite forceful. Second time you look at it, it looks very clear that he's taken the ball. So I think part of it is is down to in in first view at foot at normal speed, and bearing in mind we've got a camera view, not the ref's view. You you're looking at it, and it, it sort of depends on how your perspective is going into into what you see a second later. 
you, your mind can play tricks on you. So I can understand how it was given. So fair, fair enough on that. On that I, point. I understand the logic of why it's done like this, yeah. and I get that you can't look at every decision. But it seems crazy to me that you can look at that tackle to check it's not a red card and not go back and say, "Look, mate, you've got it completely wrong. It's not a freak. Yeah. A really dangerous situation." To get, yeah. as, as was proven by the fact they well added to their goal from it. Yeah. It's not a free kick. It's nothing like a free kick. It, turn it around and just restart with a drop ball. I mean, in, in seconds, we looked at the replay. You could see it wasn't wasn't even a foul. I was fuming at the time, Andy. We were talking about it. One of me, I was fuming about the decision, thinking, "Well, I bet you they're going to score here because a we're not good at defending free kicks anyway, and b sod's law, the fact that it was unjustified, it's bound to go against the Albion because that's what the Albion have happened to them. And sure enough, they did score. Except for the fact, as I said, we got the reprieve. Mane was definitely offside. Um, Liverpool fans got no qualms about that. Um, I think in general, they, they've said fair enough. Um, Even then, VAR took a while to decide. I mean, it was a clear offside. Yeah, I don't know why it took so long. They took about a minute to get on that one. Yeah, and, and and anyway, that's not the point. The point is that they, they could have scored a legitimate goal and we would have been 2-0 down and we would have lost that game. There's no way we're scoring two goals right near the end. Um, you know, this was in the 82nd minute already, this goal, so-called goal. Um, so, you know, we, we could have been robbed by what would have been the only poor decision, as left at least as a decision, in the game. Um, but luckily it was it was ruled out correctly. And we move into the 90th minute. Dunk goes forward. Um, decent ball forward development, I think it was, on the, on the wing. He played a, a low diag towards, um, into the box towards... Um, I think it was Ali J who flicked it to Grosh. Grosh slipped it in first time to Welbeck in the box. And then it just looked like a simple clearance from Liverpool. When we then look back, we realise it was a penalty. Um, Welps had been tripped. Um, oh, sorry, it had been fouled. He, he was basically on the stretch, trying to touch the ball, just as he sort of like padded it down with his foot, or, or well, he did pad it down. Henderson, no, sorry, Robertson came in and, and clipped his leg, changed the direction. Definitely made contact. The sort of penalty that you would say under the rules is a penalty, but you can understand why it's frustrating from a purist's point of view that that should be given because it wasn't anything critical about it, was there? But yeah, I've used the phrase um, with the naked eye already. With the naked eye, that really didn't look like a penalty at yeah. all. And I think that's why Albion players didn't protest, apart from, I think, Welbeck and possibly Gross. But I don't think anyone else protested, did they? Because the, they saw what you saw, the naked eye view. Um, they weren't sure what had happened. It was quickly cleared. Um, Liverpool won a free kick on halfway, and you thought that was that. But, yeah, they, they went back to VAR. They, they looked at it. And under the current rules, that is a penalty, isn't it? It was given. And we had the chance. This is in the well, 92nd minute by the time they took the penalty, to bury it with pretty much no time for a uh, reply. Morpay wasn't on the pitch. Grosh was on the pitch, so of course it was his turn. I think um, um, basically if in doubt, send on the German, really. Yeah. And and the penalty. German penalty taker. He sent Allison the same way. Uh, again, it was the wrong way, sort of. I mean, he, he hit it pretty much down the middle, didn't he? Um Conviction, good, good pen. It is if it goes in, isn't it? Good pen if it goes in, yeah. If it, if you keep it stands his ground and you just pass it straight to him, it's not. But on that basis, would you say Christian Bass's penalty at Woking was a good penalty as well, Peter? 
I mean, any penalty that goes in, from my point of view, having watched Alvin over the years, is a good penalty. <laughs> well, I, I've got a quite simple rule of thumb. Some people say that um, a penalty that's saved is a terrible penalty. Um, the terrible penalties are the ones that actually miss target. Yeah, uh, because you're... I mean, Ryan Harley's penalty at Millwall was saved, and that was a terrible penalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Okay, there might be exceptions, but um, anyway, Abby, yeah, I think your point stands. You can you can get lucky scoring, but if you don't hit the target, then you you haven't forced an issue, have you? In the game, you if, you, if you so... hit it straight and the keeper second guesses you and stands his ground, you do look a bit silly as compared to them having to dive one way or the other to save it. Well, that happened, didn't it? There was a game at the weekend where, oh, I know what it was. It was Troy Deeney. Someone stood up, I noticed, because he knew Deeney whacks it down the middle. So he stood up and Weenie, uh, and, and Deeney whacked it down the middle and it just went straight through his hand because it was too powerful. So nice idea, but <laughs> I reckon that's the best way to take a penalty because uh, I think even if you guess right, you can still score. Top corner is the best place to get a penalty, isn't it? Let's be honest. It is, yeah, but it's, uh, you're also more likely to yeah. miss. Um, if you leave, yeah. you've got two areas you can be slightly out on as compared to just if yeah. you hit it in the corner, you've only got one. Yeah. A um, couple of the quick points on the match. First of all, regarding the penalty, post-match, match of the day, guys, were talking about clear and obvious in regard to the penalty. So it was a penalty under the rules of the game. He kicked his foot. The ball wasn't involved. That is a penalty. But... In terms of overturning a decision, VAR, the question is, it has to be VAR. Um, it has to be clear and obvious. Walton keeps banging on about this. Yeah, he's really getting on my nerves with that. Yeah, he is with me as well, because he, I he, think he, that he is... In the game, he said it's not VAR's job to get the decision right. And I'm like, oh. His way of saying clear and obvious seems to suggest the essence of the game rather than the actual hard and fast rules. Yeah. For me, under the hard and fast rules, that was clear and obvious. But I know... The referee what, if he, missed it. The referee got the decision wrong... So it was a clear and obvious mistake. I mean, yeah. he obviously yeah. didn't see him kick Welbeck and miss the ball. So it was an obvious error. And it's and it's quite telling that the referee went over, looked at one replay. He didn't watch yeah. the race, looked once and then gave a penalty. He didn't, like, take forever over it. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, so And everyone in the BT were going, it's a penalty. So it's clear and obvious. And like you say, Pete, the referee's over there for about 20, 30 seconds. Suggests mm. that he, he, he agrees he got it wrong. He gives a penalty. I don't yeah. really understand what all the controversy was about. All the controversy really. is because it's against Liverpool. That's why. Mohamed Salah can go over with the, the slightest touch and for, you know, constantly and get no criticism and no comments and well, you know, certainly get penalties. But then the minute that um, anything happens that Liverpool don't like, Henderson's on TV moaning about it and complaining about VAR. I'm going to go to Andy Kay. You might be about to make the same point as me if it's to do with Salah. Uh no, it isn't actually to do with Salah. Oh, well, I was going to say Salah with the West Ham game. Yeah, weeks, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I know that one. The point I was going to make was there was next to no fuss made about the penalty that um, was awarded and um, reconfirmed by VAR, where Lamptey apparently took out Batshuayi. Um, so yeah, thank nothing you. made of that whatsoever it's purely the fact that it it affects a big club yeah because that was clear and obvious 100 percent. the other way clear and obvious it wasn't a penalty mm-hmm. um and it was an outrage an absolute outrage yeah, was, that wasn't was very little fuss made about Connolly's being overturned as well when yeah. actually 
you know, that was probably more of as much a penalty as a lot of the one Salah wins and that sort of thing, for example. Yeah, I know, I know Andy, you disagree with me. I, I was not completely convinced it was a penalty, 100%. But what I would agree with, and I think I did at the time, was that it wasn't clear and obvious enough to turn that one over. So in that sense, I agree with Walton in the his, his idea that you shouldn't overturn a ambiguous, a subjective penalty call. But they did. <laughs> and in fact, they pressed the referee to look at it and then make a change of decision that irritates me what also irritates me is sky is is um the, the media's coverage um i mentioned sky sports news saying controversial game it wasn't a controversial game they were all the right decisions the only controversy is we got a guy red a yellow carded for a, a clean tackle that's the only controversy in the game the second yeah, thing the boys, as well i would say yeah. the only controversy at villa was the fact that our player got sent off wrongly Whereas yeah. they were making a huge not the penalty that we that. That correctly got overturned. Yeah. And the other thing, BT Sport, they had um, a, a, a Liverpool mate of mine going, oh, every, all the pundits agreed with me that it was really harsh, uh, the decisions. I said, well, what, when you say the pundits, you're talking about the Manaman, who's a Liverpool legend uh, in the co-coms. And who are the two expert summarisers in the studio with Jake Humphreys, who, none of them, who, who doesn't like Albion because we've been winding him up ever since he made that snidey comment about Norwich being a breath of air. Joe Cole, wasn't it? One was Joe yeah, Cole. Yeah, Joe Cole, ex-Liverpool, and you've got Peter Crouch, ex-Liverpool, yeah. uh, who scored one in three over, I think, 100-and-something games for that. Where, where's the neutrality in that? Yeah, so well, I think they thought it was a penalty. I think they both thought it was a penalty. Yeah. Yeah, only Humphreys was really saying it wasn't. And we all know how much yeah. he knows about football, judging by his Norwich comments. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, rants there. But Dermot Gallagher, who quite often I've wanted vindication from him to go against referees' decisions that I think have gone wrongly against us, and he's backed the refs. Recently, he hasn't. The Villa game, he backed us. Oh, we backed the decision that was made in our favour. In this game, again, he backed the decisions correctly, in my opinion. So there Didn't is that. Lamptey shouldn't have been sent off. Um. As well as the oh, as well as VAR sure. was right to overturn the penalty, I think he also said didn't he said Lamptey shouldn't have been sent off. Hmm. Oh, fair enough. I didn't even catch that bit. Well, fair enough. Yeah, I read somewhere. That's... I didn't see it, but I think I read somewhere that he said that. Yeah, fair play to him. I mean, he's he's quite a reasonable guy, but I mean, when he hasn't always favoured a contentious decision in our favour, here he has. So, as far as I'm concerned, we're still in credit by the outrageous number of bad decisions that have come against us such as the one Andy's mentioned, the Batchwai incident, um, for one, um, Lanty's red card for another. I don't think we've, we've, we've had any credit back at all. I think we've just had correct decisions. I think made. The, one, um, the, the one that, that I'm, not, I'm still not quite sure about was um, Soddy March at Tottenham. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I'm not sure we should have got that decision. That's one of the few occasions Val's Colin said, go and look at the camera and the video, the replay, and the actual referee's gone over and not overturned it. Because normally going to going to look at a replay means that it'll probably be overturned. Yeah, I wonder why they didn't get that, because it looked a foul for all the world, didn't it? Um, but he looked at the monitor, didn't he? And we've actually that, not, we didn't actually look at the foul on the monitor and he didn't overturn it. <laughs> yeah, I think he must have been looking at something else. I, I've this one, though, I, still annoys me a lot because they didn't look like scoring otherwise, they didn't have a shot otherwise, did they? So, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's one thing against Liverpool where, you know, we, we got a draw and actually a really good result, but we, you know, we could have got more. But against Palace, they literally would never have scored against us if they'd, if they'd not got that penalty because they didn't have another shot. And so mm. they gifted them a point, basically, when we should have had all three. Yeah. And 
Um, the, the other thing I was going was to be one other thing as well to mention on that subject, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But, but the point is that we, oh yeah, it was, um, it was about Kane. I was going to say I was doing some housekeeping on my Virgin TV box and I found the um, the Palace 2-1 the 2-1 winner Palace, which was great to watch again, had a look through that, was sort of fast-tracked through a bit. And there was in that match an incident where Murray did what Kane did uh, to us this season. Uh, and he got booked and they got given a free kick. Just thought I'd mention that one. Um, that, that is worth balancing out with the March run against Tottenham, that the penalty was a dreadful decision. Yeah, yeah. and there's yeah. the Trossard decision as well. They arguably should have. Certainly, it's, um, it's, I would say it's more of a penalty than... The Batshuayi one, shall we say? I mean, that's not so difficult. That, yeah. So that alone speaks volumes. And final thing for me, um, players individually. I mean, man of the match. You could argue there's a number of people could have been in in line for that. I think Veltman had a really good game. I think Grosh had another good game. For me, Basuma just about edges it because I think he has strangely almost quietly gone under the radar with how much he is stepping up to the plate. He's really Really coming on, isn't he? Oh, he's our most important player, quite comfortably. Um, he, he's the transformation in his reading of the game is is just phenomenal. Um, he 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 knows that role like the back of his hand now. Um, he's got that swagger about him as well, isn't he? He's going to get better and better, I think. Um, I, I think. Got- I mean, I, I, in terms of Basuma, I'd say he's probably had one bad game this season, and that was Everton, and we got stuffed that day, really, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Other than that, he's not really had a bad game. And they all he had really, really had improved. Play well that day, did they? It was kind of a ah, uh, exactly, yeah. Bad performance, yeah. which, as you say, probably is. You know, you could argue is down to Basuma, arguably, because yeah. he's and he still scored, didn't he? I, I'd yeah. say, I, I, yeah. You mentioned Beltman. I want. I was quite record. I would really like to see Beltman play. Monday and onwards, even with Lamptey back in the team, whether you either drop one of the centre-halves or move White forward or something. But I find it hard to believe a player of his quality doesn't have a place in that team. He is yeah. so good on the ball for a defender. So class. Well, I, I agree. I, I think he's been extremely impressive. Um, I did think, um, apart from the goal, actually, I thought Web- Webster had a really good game as well. Yeah. Hmm. I, don't Do think you, I think you could have given it to anyone in the back five. Yeah. Including the goal kick, well, six including the goal kick. Yeah, any of them really. None of them had a bad game. No. I think March, March just it just goes from strength to strength. Like I've said before, I think that um, Potter's really rescued his his Premiership, his Premier League career. I think yeah. he matched his goal Premier League goal tally for the last three seasons already this season. Yeah, Ben White, I think, is again he's he's going to be a colossus. I think he's mm. he's just. Uh, He's got it all there, hasn't he? Just he's going to improve as the seasons go on. If we can keep him, fantastic because he's going to really step on. He's got a stature he, he to him. Play, he did play um, uh, those incidents in the first half. He he was slightly out of position or playing uh, an opponent onside. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's some inexperience, isn't it? I think. Yeah, uh, the, other, the other one you mentioned initially. Is someone who I actually in Grosh I actually thought was dropping away. I thought he actually the the team had maybe moved on from him, but he's now all he's done is find a newer position further back, and he's he looks as good as he's ever done. Really, he's kind of yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe he's he did. He has played that. He's played that role before, though. He played that yeah. role a few a few times, didn't he, under Hewton? So he could definitely yeah, play. It. I mean, he said himself he could play it, and yeah, you know he, he great played, distribution. Uh, he played it uh, in Germany. 
What what team is he at in Germany? Ingolstadt. I think isn't it? Ingolstadt. That's Ingolstadt, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I mean, he, he had a really good game. He yeah. could be the, he could be the story of the season in a sense because he had been pretty much written off by a lot of people. He's not liked by some people or hasn't been. Um, we mentioned, I think, before I can't remember if it's the last podcast. His goal involvement record for PHA was, I think, it was something like um, twelve goals and twenty nine involvements in general during the Premier League era. Well, I think that's now thirty one goal involvements because uh, he was obviously set up the. Um, Oh, he, he got the penalty, and I think he's did he, was it him that set up the goal. I remember now. It was. Uh, no, was no, no, it was the, the uh, Villa goal, the second Villa goal. He set up the goal. Yeah, Villa. Possibly, I'm, I'm, yeah sorry. So yes, yeah, so it's um, it's thirty goal involvements and thirteen goals. Um, he's also I, the I only think... player so far to score in all four seasons in the Premier League era. Duncan follow if he scores, but uh... I, th- I think where he's been criticised, and I think there is an argument here, is his stats sound really good, but a lot of it came from set pieces. And did he contribute enough from open play to be justified in being in the team with the set pieces? I think since he's moved back a bit, that's changed, and he does contribute far more. Probably he's a lot more involved. The game possibly at times last season passed him by under Potter's system. Whereas this season, he's been much more involved and much more active the last few games. And it definitely suits him a lot more, the system. Yeah, I mean, last season, though, he was playing in a um, slightly different role, wasn't he? He tended to play kind of advanced midfield, but on the wing, alongside Moy. I I never really got why Potter picked those two players. I think it worked really well at Tottenham home. It worked really well and he carried on, even though it didn't work after that. Um, but they, they they were too similar to one another. Um, it's arguably yeah. more going. Same, same weaknesses. Yeah, I think that's ultimately the problem that we had at the time, wasn't it? And yes, you can upgrade on any players in our team, probably pretty much. But the fact remains that he's functional enough to to be a part of the squad going forward, at least for the time being, if he carries on doing what he's done in the last two or three games. Um, I think we were saying on Singletary London the other day after the game. I think it's. I think his lack of pace isn't such an issue when there's quicker players around him. When he was up front with Murray, there was obviously the two of them were really slow and it was a problem. But when when there's like a lot of quicker players further forward or whatever, he can afford to lack maybe lack the pace to and Bissuma is brilliant at getting up and down and, you know, kind of getting forward but also then getting back and defending and I reckon he could end up going for a you know, fifty, sixty million in the end, Bissuma. He's he's still really young and he he just gets better by the game. Yeah, I mean, I I would just say that um, those two are keeping out um, proper Alzate Malambi. Um, yeah. Competition for places. That's yeah. great. And Lalana on Saturday as well, although we don't know how fit he was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, keeping him out of the toilet would be the challenge by the sounds of it. From <laughs> well, Andy Kay, you haven't mentioned any stats yet, so I'm going to throw a load of stats quickly from the match. Forty um, percent possession. Um, we, lost, we haven't had minority of possession much this season. Well, we did in this game and we did against Villa. And we got four points out of six. First thing to observe. Second thing is shots on goal, 11 to six in our favour. Sorry, shots on uh, in general, um, 11 to six. Uh, three to two on target. Um, two shots blocked to their three. But we had four corners to their three. Um we committed nine fouls. They committed 13. Might be quite telling. In fact, we didn't commit nine fouls. It was eight. Ben White did not foul Diego Jota. Anyway, moving on. Um, 
We had two yellows to one again for the same reason. That's ridiculous. Uh, big chances, three to zero in the game, which is interesting. And big chances missed, two to zero in our favour. Not so good, um, as we know. Um, so the stats look good against a team who is technically world champions. Um, they are still probably favourites thereabouts for the title. Not a bad day at the office, is it? I mean, I think as well, you know, the, the injuries they've got, they're still second in the league. Yeah. And they'll well, back themselves to win that league this season. So, yeah. and we have know, with those injuries. And we've, yeah. we've backed them. And I would say, actually, we probably, like you say, on chances, we were the better team. Yeah. And Lamar wasn't fit to start or indeed to carry on playing. Uh, Lamptey no, was Lamptey. available. So, you know, we had our, our problems as well. But, uh, yeah, I think all in all, we can, I think we can all agree a good result. Um, the other results didn't go our way. We've got to build on what we've done. We definitely need to still keep getting results. And Southampton's an interesting one because the stats suggest there that they're very good in the first half. And if you can weather or partially weather the storm in the first half, you can get some benefit from them in the second. So we're at home. It's on Monday. We've got plenty of time to recover from a, from a Saturday lunchtime to a Monday evening, um, nine and a half days or whatever. Um I think we could get a decent result there uh, against them. Uh, Russ, the what's their, um, Russ, what's their away form like compared to the home form? Is there any real variation there? They're brilliant away and poor at home, aren't they, I think? I mean, Wonderful. <laughs> I was hoping you going to tell me it was the other way around, but OK, fair enough. The thing to bear in mind about Southampton, who... Well, I suppose two things to bear in mind about Southampton. They, they've been so good since that 9-0 defeat. Um, they, they've... They really are very intense um, and they'll be all over us. Um, but their return to form certainly coincided with Ings falling into full fitness. Um, he's obviously been banging them in, um, but he's out injured, isn't he? Um, he won't be available. There was, I don't know. There was some talk he might be back for our game. Oh, really? Um, I mean, I think you're right that without him and Hoiberg, you know that they were two. They're two big misses, I think, for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not Hoiberg looking like such an astute signing by Marino. I mean, um, we've suffered courtesy of Hoiberg, haven't we? Yeah, got a couple of goals against us. A couple of very good goals, but um, I, I think Southampton's uh, um, other forwards um, are doing all right. I think Adams is really beginning to look like a Premier League. Striker, actually. Yeah. Um, get, yeah, I mean, not get for ages. He got a couple at the end of last season and has carried on, hasn't he? Yeah. Season, uh, he, he gets through some serious work as well. Yeah. Redmond's also been out. I don't know. He, he can be troublesome as well, but I don't know if he's going to be back. He can, but he's, he's one of those players that flashes yeah. to Steve, doesn't he? Yeah. Even though Guardiola likes him. <laughs> uh, yeah, interesting open game, though, I think, again. Yeah, the days where teams where teams tend to come down here and sit back. A lot of most teams tend to, you know, it tends to be quite interesting. Even West yeah. Brom, second half, we were, it was pretty open mainly because they better go at us. Yeah, well, the game's live on TV. I'm certainly looking forward to seeing it. You guys, well, two of you guys are going to be watching on on the box as well. I'm sure. The other, Andy Bravery, you're going to be at the game, so we're going to be looking with interest to uh, to see what you have to say about that, and maybe we'll get you on for the. Uh, for the post-match, for, for the for the uh, review podcast, um, partly for the game, of course, from the first-hand experience point of view, but also for the uh, 
what the general match day experience. So good luck with that one. Hope you enjoy it. Um, to, to you and to the other Andy and to Peter, thank you all for joining for this podcast. Uh, we are sponsored by Seagulls Over London. You can check them out on www.seagullsoverlondon.com. You can contact us, Brighton Rock Podcast, at Brighton Rock Pod on Twitter or Brighton Rock Podcast at gmail.com on the interweb with email. Um, in the meantime, though, thanks to everybody for joining us. And Peter, stand or fall? Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.